bum bum bottom 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 bum bum
no, he knew. He knew that there was a big time fangirl on the other line of that microphone. Uh, but that's okay. That's what we do here at Comic Book Couples Counseling. And Love Everlasting, this is a comic that does feel genetically manipulated to appeal to Brad and Lisa. That or it was created to antagonize us. Like, <laughs> do you like relationships in comics? You like to see two people fall in love? Well, here is it crammed down your throat every other page. It's intense. Uh, yeah. I, so the first issue is coming out physically from Image on August 10th. But you can go read the first four issues. Actually, as of this recording, I think you can now read the first five issues through their Substack absolutely for free. And I would recommend you do so. But once you do do that, you are going to want to uh, finger those floppies. You're gonna want <laughs> you're gonna want the physical object. Hey, comic book couples counseling listeners, they love to finger floppies. We yeah. know that. Yeah. But don't worry, we don't get into too many spoilers in this conversation. However, I do think your listening experience will be enhanced if you've at least read the first issue. Again, though, all five issues are right there waiting for you via Substack for free. Just just read them. Just read them. Honestly, I went into reading Love Everlasting utterly cold, and it really, like, enhanced the experience. All I knew was this is Tom King and Elsa Chartier's take on young romance comics and I was like, okay, I'm in. Right. And then there's a moment that happens, and I'm like, oh, no! And I, and I was sucked in, and it was amazing. And Lisa is going to spoil that moment in the first issue. Because this is impossible to talk about. <laughs> without, like, It's just like, we can't even talk about what's in the first pages. So I think we can just say Love Everlasting is about the title character of Joan existing through multiple romantic situations and what else? What? what? What do you give me that look? What do you give me that look for? That is the look I make when I'm trying to think of how do you say what this book is without saying too much. I'm right. just like guarding you. It's tricky. Cautiously. To me, it's like if a serialized romance comic met Quantum Leap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so um, it's one character kind of leaping through time, from romance to romance, but it's not Quantum Leap. Yeah. But it's just hard to describe. <laughs> Read the comic book. And I do hope we get Elsa and Tom back on when we're a little further into Love Everlasting so we can go a little more deep dive into this conversation. You know that I like to go full spoilers. Yeah. I do yeah. not like... <laughs> right. Um, right. I do not like to tiptoe around things. I want to yeah. just get into it. But do you, do you hear those sirens? Oh, yeah. That's that's the spoiler police. They're telling us <laughs> to stop. They're telling us to stop. And we just need to get right into this conversation before we're thrown in jail, Lisa. Uh, stay Let's safe go. out there. Tom and Elsa, welcome to Comic Book Couples Counseling. You've entered the love nest. <laughs> Uh, thank, thank you. It is very good to to be here. You guys have been so incredibly supportive of of our work, and and, and uh, just up up front, thank you. It really means yeah. the world. Thank oh, you for having us. Our pleasure. Love Everlasting is absolutely a comic 
that was made for Lisa and Brad. And we're so excited to talk to you about it, especially considering that we're building to San Diego Comic-Con. And I know Elsa is not traveling to San Diego this year, but Tom's in the middle of packing. And I imagine your uh, house is in total chaos right now, like our apartment. Yes, but it's less the packing. Like that'll be tomorrow night's panic. Now it's the like three deadlines I forgot that I had. <laughs> that's 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 more of the panic now. It's just me like, oh my god, I have to get this in and this in and this in, and and then you're like, oh, and then you know at the last second, you know people are asking you to lunch, and you're like, crap, I've got all my lunches, and your schedule is just cr- San Diego is not like any other con, just because the schedule goes so insane so fast. Yeah, and I imagine this con is going to be uh, a unique con, even amongst the most unique of cons. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's, I mean, the, uh, if you had told me like a month ago, I'd be super excited. Now, like COVID's like rearing its head again. So we're mm-hmm. like, oh no, so you have that in the back of your head all of a sudden. And, yeah. and uh, which seems to be sort of the status quo. Like as soon as you get relaxed, COVID starts biting at you again. Uh, and so, so there's that. And yeah, this is, it, it's, it's, it's a different kind of San Diego, but I don't think people know what it's going to be. It, it, like, I feel like, it done sort of, you know, whatever, eight San Diego's in a row. And this one feels like it's, it, who knows what you're going into. It feels very up in the air. Yeah. San Diego. Lisa and I were saying the same thing. And as Lisa likes to say, well, we're all doing the best we can because this is our first pandemic. For <laughs> this us. is our very first. We're bound to make some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I haven't so, done this one before. Yeah. I am so excited to talk Love Everlasting. Um, and I, in preparation, I read your entertainment weekly interview and you said that you were reclaiming a lost aspect of the comic industry by creating a romance comic. And for me, I, I turn every comic into a romance comic. I come to comics (laughs) with a melodrama. I'm the person who like completely forgets the villain and I'm like, and who's kissing? Like, that's what I'm there for. And, um, uh, oh, well, that's that's all I've been doing for 10 years in comics. Uh, to the, uh, so, yes, I can relate to that more than anything else. I'm here for the kissing. But but with Love Everlasting, you are also kind of poking fun at the romance comic and, and pointing out that falling in love can't be a character's whole motivation. So do you often feel like you are walking the line between reverence for the form and parody? Yes, but I wouldn't call it parody as much as examination. Mm. I don't know. It's not like I'm, I don't want to say I'm making fun of those comics or, um, you know, like, like the, 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 you know, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties and, you know, in the eighties, we started seeing the superhero comics, Watchmen, Dark Knight, they were about superhero comics, but I don't think anyone could call those parodies of superhero comics. Mm. They're just like, what if we took seriously sort of the strengths and weaknesses of this industry and, 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 and what, what that means for being an adult. And I think sort of it's, it's that aspect. It's more of an examination than, a, than making fun of. Because I don't find, I mean, like, I feel like Lichtenstein was like making fun of them. And I don't, I don't find that to be humorous. Because I think th- their general, I mean, these were comics that were made for young, for what people thought young women's desires were for 30 years. And some, and a lot of them were made by women and I don't know, to mock them or something would seem cool because, because I mean, they're, 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 they're a product of their time and they, they deserve to be taken seriously as that. But I, I feel like by taking it seriously, it does kind of point out the extremity of it. Like 
as Joan is jumping from romance to romance, you're serving up this kind of idealization of each decade. And through like that reiteration, you get this sense of like how uncanny and unnerving idealization can be. Yeah, I'm constantly, I mean, that's almost the theme of everything I do is looking at sort of um, what's behind an idealized world and how that sort of falls us apart and sort of the distinction between, you know, the dream of something and the reality of something and how that can create sort of fascistic, you know, um, impulses in people and, and, and conformity where conformity shouldn't exist. So yeah, that, that's, ex that's exactly what, it, what I'm trying to look at. Um, because those, those old romance comics are um, incredible on one level, like the art and the storytelling, they actually they're good as stories. I always find like they set up a good problem and they solve it. And I find them to be just as compelling I mean, I find Stanley's work in romance comics just as compelling as his work in Spider-Man comics. I don't see the distinction. In fact, I see them overlapping constantly where the, the best parts of some of the Spider-Man stuff is the soap opera stuff. Um, and we just call it superheroes because every once in a while he punches a, a, a lizard. But when I go back and read those comics, it's not, I'm not there for the punching of the lizard. I'm there for the, um, the drama of him and Gwen Stacy and, and, and Mary. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's that's exactly it. I'm I'm looking at sort of this idealization of romance, this ideal that that you need to fall in love to be happy. That 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 that's the goal of life, and not that that isn't a goal, but why is that the goal? Right. So the way that I approach uh, my books, and uh, it's probably not going to be a very satisfying answer, is that I don't think about that stuff <laughs> at all. Uh, I usually don't, especially like, specifically, especially, sorry, especially for romance comics, because I haven't like read any. I read a, a, a few when Tom suggested that we do this book, but um, my creative journey for Love Everlasting is what is Joan's journey. So I, if I, you know, that's my preoccupation is not really looking at, um, instead of zooming out, as Tom is doing, and, you know, uh, kind of doing this whole reinvention of the genre, I zoom in into Joan. And that's my focus, if that makes sense. On the Substack, you do this really fascinating, um, like, revealing of your process with um issue one page 19 of how you go from the scripts to the inks and you take tom's very like succinct action-based scripts and then you are responsible for like establishing mood and and at least on that page you did it a lot through like this um empathizing with joan and kind of um, bringing out her expressions and her um, assured body language. And and I know that um, you have acting in your past. Do you feel like that, that um, ability to embody a character informs your art? Exactly, absolutely. And that ties into what, what I was just saying earlier, is that I see everything in comics through the prism of characterization and characters intent and all emotion and all of that stuff and that's how I think the storytelling I don't really think in terms of this is a good looking shot there's mm -hmm. there's that of course it has to be like harmonious visually but 
my primary intent is always to figure out where is the character at at this moment in this specific panel uh, because a panel is a beat and it's an action beat but it's also often an emotional beat and so that's the focus and from there what is she thinking how is she feeling how um, what is how is she in her relation to the other uh, you know characters in the scene and that dictates a hundred percent of the framing um, and the body language too and like you were saying I have studied acting I practiced it a, a little not not professionally but I try to at least um, and there's always that to me emotions you know the face is just like not even half of how you portray an emotion our bodies are usually um, uh, much better tools to express an emotion unconsciously or consciously and so that's my focus definitely when I work on the storytelling this comic really engaged Lisa and myself very quickly uh, we we read the comic in bed uh, I, I read it first and then Lisa read it second and it was clear that both of us in that first issue were just all in it gave me the full-on like that first moment where she's like where's george like i got full-on like <laughs> subdermal creeps i got the series creeps and you know i'm curious as the manipulators of this story and the manipulators of these uh emotions and this internal life that joan is going through like does it affect you as deeply as it may affect us as you are putting them on their path um, I'll speak for myself, but I am first and foremost manipulated by Tom. <laughs> you know, when I get the script, I don't know where this is going. I don't know where the story is going. So I first experience it as a reader myself. And and I try to hold on to those first, you know, feelings that you get, like, where is George, <laughs> like you said. And then I try to put that down on paper as fast as I can to retain that emotion and then translate it back um, when I work on the storytelling. I mean, some things are hard to write. Some things you're kind of struggling, like, oh, you know, what is Batman going to say in this next panel or something? I, Love Everlasting is not like that. It, it writes super easy. It's, it's it, uh, These characters are alive, and I'm just kind of, sh I don't know, shepherding them. Or, or it's, more, it's more dictation than, like, creative writing. I don't, mm. it's, 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 it's a different kind of... When, when something flows as well as this flows, my, my kids say whenever I'm working on a they can tell I'm when I'm working on Love Everlasting because I'm just like happier in my life. <laughs> it's just, it, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a book that's, uh, it, it deals with a lot of uh, horrors and traumas, but it, it's, it's a joy to write. It's, it's, it's really, yeah, I feel, I, I like Joan. I, I like her adventures. I like where she's going. I, 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 and, and it's a different style. It's a different way of doing things. It's, yeah, it's super fun. We talk about this all the time. You know, comics is such a unique collaborative creation where, you know, once you hand the script off to Elsa, then Elsa creates the comic. It gives you an opportunity to re-experience the story yourself, Tom. And I imagine that has to be an emotional experience, one that you maybe are used to by now, but could also be unique to the Lover Everlasting experience, too. I, I'm not, I'm definitely not used to it. I mean, even though I've been doing this for some time, whenever you get that first lettering draft back, that's, I mean, cause I mean, when you get the art back, you're like, okay, I, you can admire it and say it's beautiful and you can, you can't stop looking at it. That, that definitely happens. 
But when you get the lettering draft and it like comes alive and you kind of see, okay, was I drunk the week I wrote this or did I actually do something okay? Um, and and, and uh, look, occasionally, I mean, this happened to me just last week. I was like, oh crap, I was drunk the week I wrote this. And, <laughs> and, and the art for the issue was gorgeous. And I was just sitting there being like, oh no, my words are not as gorgeous as the art. So that does happen. Uh, with Love Everlasting, yeah, getting it back that first time and reading in the full, I remember I, I read it. I made my I made my wife read it, um, and she 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 usually doesn't read my, my comics so they come out in print. I, I gave it to my daughter who's twelve years old to read it, and she loved it. And I was I was like, look at this, like, because I, I haven't I have I mean I'm a guy who works with other people's IP. That's kind of what I do all the time, twenty four hours a day. So it's very bizarre to see a world that sort of hmm. uh, we created together, something that just didn't exist and now exists. It's it's. Um, it's a unique experience to be like, wow, this is this, this isn't Batman, this isn't Superman, this is Joan Peterson, who was my daughter named at the dinner table, and oh, I saw um, uh, the designs as Elsa put them together. You know, it's it's very weird to see a world come to life. I think the reason I had such a visceral experience to that first issue is that like um, the process of falling in love is horrible. Like it's mortifying, it's embarrassing. And the idea of having to do it again and again <laughs> is just like, just so exhausting, exhausting to me. And um, like one of the things that I find intriguing is the fact that when she um, kind of quantum leaps into a body, into a romance, Perfectly uh, she has the entire backstory kind of loaded into her consciousness. And it like, it makes me go like how much, like I'm always like one cocktail away from like, we're living in a simulation, but I'm like, like how much of romance is just like a story that we're telling ourselves. Yeah, it's very much so. She, she quantum leaps in and she has a whole new life in her. She has a new set of parents, a new childhood, but she remembers the previous lives. So she's becoming, you know, this, this thing that's sort of distinct from us. Um, where she's lived life after life after life. Uh, so she, she's, and, and how she builds her character among that is, 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 is the challenge of the book because Joan basically starts out without a character, unlike most books where you sort of start out with like maybe a personality sheet, like you would do a D and D thing, but like Joan doesn't have a character when you start this, she has to build, find who she is in the story um, as more stories are pouring into her. But yeah, yeah, it's, it is, it's that, it's that awkwardness of, um, uh, yeah, we all have, when, I, when you first fall in love and you feel like, am I actually in love or am I just, you know, d doing the Hallmark card version of this? Am I just convincing myself I'm in love because I'm of the right age and this seems like a good enough person? And it sometimes feels like you're going through the steps. And, and that's that's the situation that Joan is every day of her life. In issue five, and I'm going to try not to spoil it, spoil anything, but spoiling things is, I'm ready to edit, is my favorite thing to do. But like in issue five, we begin to scratch the surface on on what are the powers that be that keep her confined in this structure, but their objective is pretty clear. They want her to submit to this story because if she doesn't fall in love, she's, she's going to, to die. And Joan's instinct is to not submit is to resist. So I, I was wondering what it was like collaborating on creating the character of Joan and creating the kind of person who who doesn't just who who can't abide just going along with the system. Yeah, what were those early conversations? Yeah. Um 
I can't remember us having conversation about design or how to how to portray that. Um, you know, the fact that Joan was not going to submit to what was presented to her or are inflicted upon her. Um, and I think it's good that it is that way because the script should suffice in itself. You know, in, in, I don't think that with a good script, especially with a good first issue, you need to go into more depth in, when it comes to um, who is that character because if it's not in the script, then the, you, you're going to have as many conversations as you want. The reader is not never going to you know, get that part. So I just, I just read the script, you know, a bunch of a bunch of times. Um, I did read the treatment, the pitch that Tom had um, written that went over the whole um, the long term project of that book and where Joan was gonna go ultimately. And then from that, it's just. It's kind of a weird process, and it's not very, for me, not a very collaborative process. It's very instinctive. I just, uh, I couldn't tell you how I go from reading the script and then ended up with a design that's ready to go. It's just I let the script influence me, if that makes sense. And that's just, that's pretty much it. I mean, the, the greatest challenge from this, almost the moment that this, silly idea came into my head was how to not make this Gilligan's Island mm -hmm. like like how to not make it um okay someone wants to get out of the trap someone wants to the, your protagonist wants to get out of the wants to get off the island uh your antagonist wants to keep you on the island and that's just it for the whole series and it's just a series of them failing to get off the island you know um I don't, the, the frustration you get when you watch you know Westworld or uh lost eventually where you're just like all right just if why don't we just solve this mystery it, like if if the cliffhanger is always we're getting closer to the mystery but i know it's going to run seven seasons and why am i even watching um and uh, so it couldn't just be like she wants to she wants to get off and it can't be about getting off the island it has to be about exploring the island um was was sort of what i decided in the beginning like this every episode can't be is is joan gonna gonna leap home in this thing because then quantum leap gets very boring right right mm -hmm. um so it ha her motive so it had to be yes she was gonna rebel she was gonna sort of reel up but but she had to sort of learn about what this was and why she was here and and to know that like um you know she doesn't know what the alternative to this is. She doesn't know what the alternative to, she has to learn what the alternative is. Does she want the alternative more? Is it better to be in a world where love doesn't exist than to be in a world where you're always falling in love? I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of layers there to sort of make her, her first initial is to rebel, but then what comes next, right? Like that's like just the beginning of her journey is I want to get off the island. And then to make it emotionally interesting, it has to be, you know, do I actually want to get off this island? Why am I on this island? Um, uh, you know that that makes her more of an individual than just sort of a pawn in a big puzzle that I'm putting together. Well, in the first five issues, it does feel very purposefully plotted, and you know that first issue is this like, oh, what's happening here? Am I reading an anthology? And then, oh no, this is a singular story. And then you slowly introduce a nefarious angle to the the, the fantasy, if you want to call it that. I, but 
and then you know for a few issues you're you're withholding a lot or you seem like you're withholding a lot but you're never withholding what Joan's internal life is you might not know what's affecting her but you know it is affecting her <laughs> yeah i mean that was the thing you know I, i've been writing since vision which was now seven years ago or something i threw captions out the window for my writing yeah uh and just said I, I want the pictures to tell sort of the inner voices of all these characters and then in going back and doing the i don't know the research but sort of the pre-work for this where i was reading all all romance comics are written with these very vivid captions um, there's very few that are not uh, like like maybe two percent or some small minority. Uh, so I knew I would be sort of t- what I wanted to do was not just sort of pay tribute to romance comics, but to look at how they told those old stories in terms of just the actual functionality of it, because it was a different way to tell stories than sort of mainstream superhero comics in terms of just stuff like um, how they used uh, 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 splash pages, how they used the anthology format, how they use, you know, panel counts. I mean, I mean, just physical stuff. Like you'll see in um, Love Everlasting, I'm mostly working with five and six panel pages, which is typical of those. You don't see a lot of nine panel pages in old romance comics. Right. Um, or you don't see a lot of three panel pages or two panel pages. It's it's usually either one or five. Um, and, and then part of that was working with captions and working with sort of this ongoing inner monologue. Uh, but then they also had thought balloons. There was like almost two levels of inner monologue where there would be like sort of like what you would write in your journal and what would you actually think. And so it was also working with that that aspect, which I found fascinating. Um, and, and so, yeah, I want it to be, we're inside Joan's mind, just like if you're in a romance comic, you're inside that person. But as we said before, Joan's mind is a very complicated place because it's full of, you know, two things at once. Someone mm. just poured an entire lifetime in her, plus she has the four million lifetimes she lived before this one. So you're in both simultaneously. It's a complicated place inside Joan's mind. Lisa and I were at uh, Victory Comics in Falls Church, Virginia, just the other day. And oh, reading... that's very near me. I know it yeah. is. I've seen you speak at uh, Victory Comics. Uh, Lisa and I were inspired by reading Love Everlasting to pick up finally, I think it's the Fantagraphics collection yeah. of the Simon and Kirby Young Romance books. <laughs> and they are just such their own thing. And Elsa, I'm wondering, like, did you revisit that era before or during the production of Love Everlasting? I tried to. Um, I, I really <laughs> did <laughs> at first. Uh, first of all, it felt like the right thing to do mm-hmm. to kind of honor that legacy of romance comics and, and put my own spin on it. But it turns out that I I can't like override my style. I try to, but uh, <laughs> I always go back to what is what comes out naturally for me. So I, I think I did that mainly on the first issue and then sort of reverted back to the storytelling that I that feels the most comfortable for me. It's not always the same. I try to do variations, especially for Love Everlasting, since like we're essentially entering a different comics, a different comic with every eight pages. But um, I, for the first issue, that sort of exercise in style that I did with the caption boxes and, you know, that are that are their own panels, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that I had never done before, helped me sort of get me in the mood and slightly influence my style so that it carried on to the subsequent issues. Um, maybe I should have um, kept that more, that early influence more. 
I don't know, because as the issues, you know, um, as we move for, from one issue to the next and then into the second arc, Joan's journey evolves. She's less, um, uh, she fights back a bit more. And so it makes sense for me that the, story, the storytelling wouldn't uh, fit as much the romance comics genre than the first issue did. Mm. So I tried to, but I found my limitations quickly. But I think for the for the better, because you don't want to emulate too much of what's been done before. You want to have that feeling of the romance comics. And it's embedded in the script. Like Tom said, you have the spreads and the five panel pages. That alone, and the, and the caption boxes and, and um, thought bubbles, all that tells you, or you're reading a comic that's heavily influenced by romance comics. And I don't think that you need much more than that. Otherwise, it can become parody. Mm-hmm. I always go for like what is the subtext of the thing like it's hard to not relate to joan like oh she's a woman and they're trying to impose this structure on her and they try to like go like if you're not going with the program we're going to make your life hard and impossible until you know like is the subtext of the story something that you openly talk about and consider and are there ways that each of you relate to joan as a character i i no i I find that if you start talking out loud about the subtext then uh, um uh, you're not going to make a good book that mm. way I, I found that to be just i mean the, the idea is i mean i was a philosophy major when i was in school back in the day and i, I remember thinking like why does anyone read literature it makes no sense to me mm-hmm. like wh- why why argue over what the meaning of prejudices and pride and prejudice when in terms of like how the characters are interacting when you could just actually talk about prejudice and actual arguments and see what, you know, Plato and Aristotle, and you know, like, like what is the point of literature? I remember th- having that stupid 20 year old thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me until I, I looked I matured a little bit where I realized um, that the point of, of literature was there were things you couldn't talk about with philosophy. There were limits to language, you know, once you sort of that Wittgenstein stuff. And, and that literature could get at something that our words can't get at. There, by telling stories, you're talking about something that just like we don't have either in French or, or English. We just there there aren't there aren't the right words. I mean, we try our best, and we have our best poets and stuff, but like you never get at what the actual feeling of falling in love is um, because it's individualistic for each person. Because, and so we write stories about it, and and and, and by that you, you communicate something t- in yourself to something in the audience in a way you can't by just spelling it out. So like the whole point of writing is to not talk about the subtext. Cause if I was to be like, all right, I'm going to write this book. And the point of the book is to say, um, uh, you know, it's bad to beat children, you know? And, and then I write a book where it's bad. Like, why, what would be the point of that? Like everyone knows it's bad to beat children. We shouldn't like, like we, we it needs to be, it needs to be a, a story that comes, you know, from somewhere in me that I don't quite understand. So it can hit something in you that you don't quite understand. And then that subtext um, um, becomes apparent if that makes any sense. Right, and I think that um, it, it requires to be, um, I think, some experience and some letting go on the part of the writer to accept uh, the reader's participation in your story. Like, they're going to put in whatever, who they are, into your words. Totally. And you, you, it's the beauty of literature is allowing the reader to... Um, imprint their own 
meaning to your story. Yeah, when I first started reading Love Everlasting, it uncovered like a latent memory um, of an episode of Laverne and Shirley, where <laughs> where Laverne um, falls it. in love with a fireman who is actually Ted Danson, and within that same episode, Ted Danson dies in a fire. And Laverne goes through this process of like being in denial and being devastated. And I saw it in the context of like one of those Nick at Night blocks. So then I had to go and just watch another episode of Laverne and Shirley where everything was fine. And <laughs> Love Everlasting points out that like love does change everything. It changes your body chemistry. It changes your personal narrative. And um, I think that by putting her in just the like mechanics of a romance story points out that like um, that idea that like stories cannot be isolated. They do radiate out. Like if, if you were to logically extrapolate each one that the like Laverne would not be okay. <laughs> like there wouldn't be just another episode. I, I think that's incredibly insightful. And it's funny you bring up Nick and Knight. So like, I'm a child of, of divorce where my parents just hated me. And when I used to go to my, my or not hated me, oh my God, that's a Freudian slip, hated each other. Uh, and uh, and when I could go to my dad's house, my dad would just, she, he had cable, my mother didn't, and he and um, I could never sleep. So I, I would um, just watch Nick at night all night long because it was sort of the only thing on all these sort of Donna Reed and my three sons. And it was, you know, the difference between that and sort of what I was experiencing in, you know, urban Los Angeles in the nineties, um, like that, that distinction between that sort of ideal reality and, and, and my, and my reality, I mean, was so stark to me and, 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 it, and it created this longing in me to be like, Oh, I wish I could. But then of course the fifties was such a crap. It was all an illusion, right? Like that, none of that was true. It was just, it was created as a marketing technique to appeal to exactly what it was appealing in, in me. Um, you know, for these soldiers who were coming back to war being like, this is what you fought for. We're going to create this ideal world that doesn't actually exist. And um, so, yeah, so I became utterly obsessed with that. I mean, it's, it's so funny that like, the one success I've had, semi-success I've had in Hollywood is like that, that WandaVision show, which starts off with sort of a sitcom, you know, right. repeating itself. Like it was as if something from my childhood came to life. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's the idea. Like what happens in the next episode? Like, like how does, how does it, each story affect the other story? And when they start to affect each other, what does that mean? That's, yeah, that's, that's the, the core of love everlasting. What happens when, when you, when you, what you wake up to the, you wake up to the fact that you're dreaming, you know? In Love Everlasting 3, we get to see, like, so Joan is very in touch with her consequences when she doesn't submit to the cycle of romance. But in 3, we actually get to see how, like, hey, Joan, by not falling in love, you are actually ruining other people's lives because <laughs> now Bill Anderson is in this like loveless marriage where his wife is like super resentful and now their daughter whom he named after his ex-girlfriend which is weird doesn't know how to love you, you know like uh, i like the i ripple effect i that that ripple effect or also like um in love everlasting 4 where joan takes pity on that on that vet dane and she feels obligated in that case to like 
end his suffering by ending their story by falling in love. And um, like how like love is almost like a favor you do for someone else to make their lives better. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I mean, the theme of the first five issues is sort of Joan finding out the rules of the world mm-hmm. and, and, and the rules of the game she's in. Um, and, and uh, each issue is sort of dedicated to one aspect of that. So in issue one, she sort of finds out she's trapped. In issue two, she finds out what happens if she tries to fight back. Um, and uh, like you said, in issue three, she finds out what happens if she actually flees, if she succeeds. Um, and, and that that has consequences too. That like none of her actions lead to where she thinks she's going to lead. And in issue four, it's the first thing where she realizes she she's not just a she's not just a passive victim here. That she has some control over this world. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 there are rules, but it, within those rules, she almost has a, she can find her own power. Um, and so she uses that power to save this poor soldier from sort of this endless fate um, by by falling in love with him and sort of denying him his world and hopefully giving him a better world um and and, and then in the, in the fifth one as you said you, you sort of see her some of the mystery revealed so yeah that that's very much it, it's it's joan finding out that she's um that her actions have consequences and because they have consequences they can give her power um within the game or within the trap in your EW interview, you referred to Sandman with Love Everlasting. You're going to do what Sandman did for like world lit- literature through the lens of horror. Could you speak to that point a little bit more? And do you see this as being like this enormous ongoing series um, like that where we get powers that be that are on the scale of like the endless? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was easy. Uh, I mean, it all depends uh, uh, not on me, but on uh, Elsa. You know, this is, uh, it, it takes me a week to write a comic. It takes Elsa, you know, a, a, a lot longer than that. She has spent a lot more time with it. So um, uh, it, it depends on, on me keeping Elsa interested in the whole thing. Uh, but my ambition is is to, to make it um, uh, long and epic and, yeah, to explore every aspect of storytelling through this lens of romance, like, like Neil Gaiman did with, with horror, where, um, we can look at Shakespeare. We can, um, uh, look at, uh, space stories. We can go in the future. We can go in the past. We can go anywhere, anywhere. There's the idea, uh, there's the idea that sort of romance will solve your problems. And if you look at most of story, storytelling, um, uh, especially pop, popular storytelling, um, you know, from from Gilgamesh to to uh, whatever your latest HBO show you watch, there's an element of romance in all of it. There are people falling in love, um, so we can sort of go anywhere with this. And that that that's my ambition to 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 examine what it means within the context of storytelling to fall in love, and what literature and 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 movies and stuff tell us about the act of falling in love and how that affects us. Hmm. That's 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 the thing. Well. Before we get out of here, I, I do want to talk about the delivery system in which Love Everlasting is coming to us. We're getting the first issue from Image Comics, a physical copy. But through your Substack, we can all read uh, right now, I think, the first four issues. The fifth issue is right almost here. What has that experience with Substack been like? Uh, you know, one, offering the comic for free, essentially, and then allowing, you know, the paid subscribers 
all this unfettered access to your behind the scenes creative process? So the, the, the biggest surprise for us, and I think maybe for Substack too, uh, as a sub, uh, Substack Comics as an entity, uh, some of uh, the creators, is that we thought that comics would be the biggest draw, you know, free digital comics. Mm-hmm. Turns out it, it's the process stuff that, that gets us, um, people more interested in, get us more subscribers. Uh, that's a big surprise. Uh, but by doing that, we can, you know, first of all, we're trying a new um, delivery system, which is kind of new. And of course, there is a big learning curve on for, for everyone. But I think it's very interesting to see that people will, especially, you know, comics people um, want their hands on actual mm-hmm. physical copies of a book. And it's something that we kind of knew. And um, more and more, it, it, it looked like it, it, it's where the industry is not going to go, but it's going to stay. So people in Substack, the subscribers are much more interested in the process stuff than in the comics themselves, because they're going to buy the physical copies anyway. I, I think for me, it just took the risk out of the whole thing, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was this um, a big Silicon Valley corporation saying, here's a grant to do whatever you want. So uh, we got to get a huge head start on, on, on a, I mean, Elsa and I were already planning on doing this book before we got the Substack offer. And so when Substack came in, I was like, okay, wow. Yeah. This is a way to, to fund this project up front, so we can, you know, not worry about some of the other parts of the process and focus on just making the best product possible and hire and hiring, you know, the best letter we can and the best colorist we can. And, um, and, and, and so, so to me, that was it. It was, it was taking the relief off the risk. Um, and and, and it, it, just, it just made us more free to, to make a better comic. Well, I, I can speak for Lisa and myself as subscribers to the Substack. It's been uh, a, a, a real adventure going through the behind the scenes material and it helped us uh, formulate the questions for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I think like, you know, we are in a romance with with comic books and and with comic book artists and and a lot of romance is fed by curiosity. Yeah. Like we are curious about how our comics are made. We are curious on the ways that you guys collaborate and and we we enjoy having the veil kind of pulled back and some of that mystery exposed to us. Um, <laughs> and you can read subtext into that, I guess. <laughs> Innuendo. <laughs> And I hope we get Love Everlasting for a good long time. I want a Sandman epic oh out of this. Oh my gosh. Like, I, I became flush with the idea of this go- being ongoing and being just enormous. Uh, and, and we'll have links in the show notes for everyone to find uh, the comic book and where they can find you on socials. But in case those folks don't listen to or don't read my lovely show notes, can you let the listeners know where they can continue this conversation with you? I'm on Twitter. I'm Tom King TK, just my name and my initials. And through that, you can find me anywhere else. Right. I'm on Twitter too, uh, under my name. And you can find our Substack, um, whose name is Everlasting Productions, in the search bar on Substack or just to Google it. And also, Elsa, I love your YouTube yes. page with your your case studies and your, and your process videos. Like, I, I I love them, and I think that that is also a way that you kind of, you know, 
uh, foster your romance with art and, and making comics. And I think it's really cool. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. I agree with that. Well, on that note, uh, Elsa, Tom, we hope to have you back on when we have more stories so we can go full spoilers on, on Love Everlasting. Uh, but until that time, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, you guys rock. I th thank you so much for reading this book and for you know thinking about it. We, we, we write for people like you, so it's, it warms my heart to see you guys doing that. It's awesome. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. Have a wonderful day. And Tom, a safe trip to Comic-Con. I hope so. <laughs> mask up. A mask up, that's right. Good luck. I hear the cottonwoods whispering above. Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. That's been stuck <laughs> in my head as I've been preparing to do this interview because I remember my mom telling me about the Tammy movies, which were <laughs> that which starred Debbie Reynolds, where it's just like Tammy is in love with a bachelor. Now Tammy's marrying a doctor. And I'm like, Tammy sounds loose to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so wonderful about Love Everlasting is how in adhering to and in, in subverting the romance comics era, it is kind of hilarious. Mm. It's very funny at times, but it's mostly dark as hell. Like, it's also very scary. I think, like, the part of the conversation that gets my goat, and you guys probably know what it is, is um, <laughs> him saying, like, I don't like to talk about the subtext or even really consider the subtext. How is that possible, Tom King? Because <laughs> uh, to me, like, you know, the subtext is what I what I show up and, for. And his comics are just, like, seeping subtext. But I have... Like, we've had that conversation with different creators where, like, everybody has a different answer of, and everybody's like, and this is the correct way to do it. <laughs> Never think about the t subtext. Or you're Kyle Starks and you're like, you have to think about everything. Or you're Kevin Panetta and you should always have a message and all of that stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Everyone does it their own way. I just don't believe Tom King when he says he doesn't think just, of the subtext. I just want him to tell tell me that my <laughs> subtext that I, I got was correct. Uh, I, you know, I, like, uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Obviously, it was a real treat to talk with them both about Love Everlasting. This comic book has been rattling around my brain since I completed the fifth issue. And, uh, you know, hearing Tom and Elsa say that, yes, there is a Sandman level mythology <laughs> around this story that we could explore. That is insanely tantalizing. Well, Tom said that. Well, yes. Elsa, I did not hear a ringing endorsement. It's so funny because it's it's not unusual at the end of a conversation. Like, and we're always like, we want more of this book. We are intrigued, and it's not unusual for the, the writer yeah. to go like, "Well, it's up to you guys. You've got to go to your comic book store and yeah. pre-order." But then to hear Tom King go like, "It's one hundred percent up to." Elsa. And then we should have, that's when we should have put the screws to her. Come on, Elsa. We want more of your beautiful art. Uh, yeah, she knows. She, she knows. knows. She knows. And please head to those links in the show notes to, you know, the Substack, obviously, read the comics, but also to Elsa's YouTube page. Mm, it's so good. If you have even like a, 
a, like a cursory interest in how comic book art is made. She's really analytical about it. Yeah. And like. And fanish. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, particularly, I like her case studies. Right now, there's only two, but one of um, Aja's Hawkeye and then another one of uh, Mike Mignola Hellboy comic. So good. And I and I do think that that is her kind of romancing the art form, like to maintain a relationship, like a romantic relationship, you have to have that Esther Perel mystery, then coming together, like knowing that you can't know everything about a thing. And I think that that's what Elsa is doing with art. She is curious about it because she loves it so much, and yet she also knows that she can't know everything. Yeah, about and it. she's doing more of it in the Love Everlasting or the mm. Everlasting Production Substack page. Uh, and when Tim Sale sadly passed away, she wrote a really beautiful tribute to him about the time he contributed a variant cover to Infinite Loop. And, uh, you know, it was one of the many tributes I read that week that, you know, reduced me to tears. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you know, support Elsa and Tom uh, if you can. Jump on that Substack, But at the very least, read Love Everlasting. Those issues are free. Pick up the physical copy. We know you like to finger those floppies. Uh, out August 10th from Image Comics. And that is going to bring us to the end of our San Diego Comic-Con celebration. Uh, when we leave San Diego, well, we're actually, we're going to stay around in San Diego for a little bit longer. We're going to go to Disneyland. Yeah. We're going to you're going to ride the Age of Resistance in Star Wars Land or Galaxy's Edge or whatever they call it. I just call it Star Wars Land. And then we're going to fly home. We're going to have a couple days here in Virginia. And then we're driving down to the Outer Banks to have a family vacation with Lisa's folks and siblings and nibblings. And we are going to probably put out a Patreon episode that week, uh, but it might be difficult to get another comic book couples counseling episode. So our session episode is probably two weeks away. We're talking about Angela and Sarah as seen in the Marvel comic series, Angela Queen of Hell. It is the completion of our Angela and Sarah series. Links in the show notes to our conversation around Angela Asgard's assassin and 1602 witch hunter Angela. We've been loving them as a couple, and those conversations have been incredibly rich, and they've helped our relationship, our marriage in some interesting ways, using Robin Roberts as our self-care love expert. And her book, Brighter by the Day. So be on the lookout for those episodes, but we're going to enjoy our vacation with Lisa's fam first. Uh-oh, Brad. What? We better get out of here. Because I see a cowboy headed towards me. No! <laughs> That's just a cosplayer. We're still at Comic-Con, Lisa. Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> well, where can our listeners send the words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen X-Men Fan. Underscore. Karen at underscore X-Men Fan at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, but Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. 
If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. Indeed. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. And please, 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 if you are still listening, let us know what you thought of this Comic-Con celebration week. This is some of the most intense podcasting that Lisa and I have done in the shortest amount of time. We've worked really hard on these episodes. Please share them with your friends, the strangers on the street, your neighbors, but also just let us know those words of affirmation. We They fill our love tank. We really run on them. Yeah, so, you know, keep your love tank full, but also ours. <laughs> and until next time, Lisa. Uh, oh no, I've messed this up. Keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. We're a little frazzled, guys. <laughs>